You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. In this week's program, Father Paul continues his discussion of Genesis 11, turning to the Toledot of Shem. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. The scriptural storyline proceeds through Shem and does so without being affected by the flood, which was within the lifespan of Noah. I talked about that. It's very important. And it survived it. With the way he handles the Toledot of Shem, the author very clearly wants to underline that point of the continuity of the Adamic humanity created by God. So that's very important because very often people like to speak about the post-flood era as a new creation. That's very dangerous. There is only one creation, one world. Very important to remember that. So here the author gives us another indication of his interest by patterning the Toledot of Shem, after that of Adam. In the case of Adam, we have a firstborn at a certain age, followed by sons and daughters. We have the same thing in Shem. So, by hearing this, the hearer gets the impression that Shem is continuing that Adamic line of humanity. However, and that's the new thing, in Adam's Toledot, we hear of Canaan, as I showed, it was a stand-in for Cain, who was the first builder of a city, and of Lamech, the kingly ruler. Okay, Lamech appears in the Toledot of Adam. But in the case of Shem, we have systematically a reflection of shepherdism, shepherd life, systematically and underscoringly. It is made up by names which are very strange, as I shall try to show my hearers. Obviously, my hearers hear in English, and they assume that there are names just like that. But as usual, names are functional in Semitic languages. The first one is the most interesting because it's somehow a strange name. It's very hard to decide the meaning and so on. It's a non-Semitic name. But then what is its value? Its value lies in the fact that he was already mentioned in Genesis 10.22 as being one of five brothers, the others being Elam, 
again, non-Semitic, Ashur-Semitic, Lod non-Semitic, Aram-Semitic, and he is in the middle. So by hearing Arpakshad, one hears indirectly the totality of humanity, Semitic and Indo-Aryan. And he was, interestingly, here, the son of Shem. So it is Shem that ultimately produces the entire humanity. This goes hand in hand with the fact that the outsider Japheth will be blessed by entering into the tents of Shem. And this is what's happening here through the name Arpakshat. On the other hand, the two grandsons of Arpakshad in Genesis 10, Arpakshad appears in verse 22 of chapter 10. His two grandsons are mentioned in verse 25 as being Peleg and Yoktan. And it is the progeny of Yoktan that is detailed in the next four verses, 26 through 29. Although Peleg is the older one, he seems to be given a lesser importance than Yoktan. But this is a twist by the author. He's going to repeat that in the case of the progeny of Tera. Where is the twist? The twist is that when the hearer hears that Arpakshad is chosen, although he is not the eldest, he is in the middle of the five brothers, the hearer will conclude that the chosen one is Yoktan, especially when you hear about his progeny and nothing about Peleg. But the author is pulling our leg because when you get to Shem, you don't hear about Yoktan, you hear about Peleg. And my take on that is that since Peleg is from the verb Palag, which means to divide mainly in two, until now in Arabic, if you use the word it's the word that is used to speak about a brain stroke. Okay, it's like you split in two. Here again, you know, Arabic helped me a lot to understand more precisely the Bible. So, Peleg is the one who divides, and what he is dividing is precisely the Syro Arabian desert. If you hear closely, the descendants of Yoktan, you will notice that the concentration is on southern Arabia. He had three sons, Sheba, Ophir, and Havilah, clearly in the south. If you add to this Hazarmavet, which very obviously is the modern Hadramaut, which is east of Yemen, then you will notice that this is his progeny. So you have two children, and then 
you have a detailed presentation of Yoktan that represents the Arabian, Southern Arabian Desert, then obviously Peleg is the one that represents the Syrian desert, the northern part of the Syrian Arabian desert, and thus he is, if you like, the representative of the area where the biblical story took place. And it is precisely his name that is mentioned in the Toledot of Shem. So in chapter 10, you have, if you like, the universality of everyone, and then you have the concentration in the Toledot of Shem. And the concentration is so precise that technically you're eliminating from the view of the biblical story the southern part of the Syro-Arabian desert. And thus we are talking about Aram, the Syrian wilderness. Arpakshad's son is Shelah, okay, which is to send out, and thus again it is spread, okay, that's the idea, Shelah. Then the son of Shelah is Eber, which is Eber, very clearly it is the Hebrew, the one who crosses through the desert, and soon enough, Abram will be presented again out of the blue as Ha-Ibri, the Hebrew. If you hear it in the original, he is the son of Eber, Eber. So we have Arpakshad, Shalah, to send out. Then we have Eber, and then Eber is the father of Peleg. And I spoke enough of Peleg in conjunction with Arpakshad and Yoktan. So Peleg means to divide, and thus again to spread. The following name is, if you like, the name that seals the fact that the author is really underlining shepherdism, because in Hebrew, and if one does not hear it in Hebrew, then one is not going to understand what is going on. Ru'u in Hebrew is the imperative plural of ra'ah. It means Ye shepherd, imperative, or ye graze. I'm reminding my hearers that the verb ra'ah in Hebrew is very interesting. It can be intransitive, and thus it applies to the sheep, the sheep graze. And if it is transitive, it applies to the shepherd, the shepherd who shepherd, tend his sheep. And thus, with Re'u, we are at the heart of the Toledot of Shem, and that would be, if you like, the signature of the matter. Sarug is another very interesting name, because Sarag means intertwine. 
and thus I believe that it is a reference to the tight-knit relation between members of the same family, the mishpaha, of either shepherds or sheep. So you hear that all the names are working to convey to the hearer who is serious about the scriptural Hebrew that definitely we are talking about this shepherd life, the human being with the animals, mainly the flock of sheep. The following name is also interesting, Nehor, but in Hebrew is Nahor, with a het, and it comes from a rarely used root, but it is in the Bible, that connotes the sound emitted by an animal, more specifically the snorting of horses. And I gave examples in my book on that. There is no need to go into that. But it could apply to any herd of animals. Okay, so here again, the name Nahor underscores, I mean, all the names point to the shepherd life. Now, the last one is Tera. It is very interesting for the following reason, that again, as in the case of the genealogies before it, Tera, the last person, as we had it in the case of Noah in conjunction with Adam, is very important because he prepares for a turning around. And unless one understands the meaning of the original terah, we still have it in Arabic. Marah wa tarah. Okay. I love you in the marah when everything is fine, the happiness, the easiness. And the tara, which is the sadness when someone dies. So tara is very interesting because, because immediately after that, we hear that one of his sons, Abram is the eldest, but one of his sons, Haran, the middle one, dies in Ur before leaving. And thus, the name Terah is very interesting here. That he loses the first one. And that also is a setup. Because then you expect that the future will be or should be held by the one who had produced a progeny, which is the father of Lot. But this is not what happened. But here I'm jumping the gun later. We'll get to hear that the continuation of God's plan goes through the one whose wife was barren and not through the son who had a son. You see how the author plays always on your expectations. He builds them up and then he goes against them. The message is very clear, at least to my ears, that it is God and only He is systematically in control of His plan.
The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.